Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. And welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast. That was Meet Me in the Metaverse by John Beltzer. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you guys doing today? Hi, Nicole Hello. and Greg. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It is officially 2022. 2022. What does that even mean? And I am miffed. My technical difficulties here, you know, it never fails or it always fails. So you're starting off this year with, with technical difficulties. Yep. Real quick about the song, Meet Me in the Metaverse. We talked to John Belcher about that later in, in the second half, so we'll leave that till later. Yeah. It's a special thing because this episode, we actually interview John. It's not just him answering questions. We actually talk with him, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, we had him on live, which was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, so um, remember the old days of television, I'll date myself, when sometimes it would something would go wrong, you'd see that little picture, like we're having technical difficulties. <laughs> like that Indian head thing. Yeah, or that cartoon of like a guy with a wrench and like we're having, and, and you just hear, and you just have this little picture. Or, or my, local, my local station had one like this big, gigantic, looked like bird that was like pecking on um, an antenna. 
<laughs> right, something some stupid, right? It was so funny. Technical I, difficulties. I just remember it would come on as like white noise with like, we're having technical difficulties and it would beep. And then all of a sudden, like five minutes later, they would come back and they'd pick up like nothing happened. Remember those? Yeah, they still have them. I, never, I haven't seen them in a long time. When you watch a TV, all of a sudden you hear, and this is the test of the emergency broadcast yeah, system. Emergency broadcast. Oh, yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen them in a long time. Have they forgot that? Yeah, they still do it. Um, yeah, I. Um, terrestrial radio i was gonna say i hear it a lot on radio when we used to live up at the base you would hear every wednesday the first wednesday of the month they would come on and they would say this is a test of the emergency broadcast system this is not an actual alert if you hear this go about your normal day and they do it for like 20 minutes and it was annoying but every month on the first wednesday you would hear it it was a big deal uh you know and it's it's interesting because we've recently had some very inclement weather here and people have died in uh, bad thunderstorms and in multiple tornadoes, tornadoes and- across the across the landscape. And it's like I wonder if people aren't rather disconnected, even though everybody's got a phone, everybody's on their phone and streaming twenty four seven. But it's like it's kind of insulated there. They're kind of in their own bubble. Anyway, enough of this. So this week, Greg, you're the um, resident expert in publishing. Bowie now sold his catalog, or Bowie's catalog was sold. But I heard the difference is where Springsteen and Dylan and those guys, they sold not only the publishing, but they sold the master recording rights as well. Which is bizarre because I don't think that Springsteen or, or any of those other guys controlled their masters, you know? So... I'm going to be really honest with you. But Bowie only I, I sold the publishing should, rights. I probably should know more than I know about all these acquisitions, but my heart's not in it. I mean, I just think that, you know, these companies gobbling everything up just to create these enormous billions and billions of dollar valuations, you know, all propped up by ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, and this thing called GMR. My heart's not. Well, in it, it seems anymore. like the whole I landscape. The whole landscape I is think changing. It's a scam. It's all changing because what's what? I, what I see it as, you know, being not as you know expert in it as you, I see all the old dudes, like you know, all the old great guys from the seventies and sixties, cashing out. What the hell? I'm seventy years old. I'm eighty years old. Might might as well get a half a billion dollars and put it in my kitty. And you know what do I care? I mean, where, how, you know, there are also there are pending tax implications. But if you look at the the whole of contemporary music and the the music, let's say the top fifty tracks that receive the most attention or get you know like a massive amount of streaming, they're not the gold standard catalogs. You know, this is all extremely contemporary. What are you saying? I'm not following what you're saying. I'm saying what you're saying, which is that they don't make these catalogs anymore. But I'm not sure how compelling they are going forward. Because, you know, where the money's being made today is with with stuff that nobody's ever heard, with the new stuff, you know, right. and whether or not that'll have longevity and catalog value 20 years from now, I don't believe that it will. I think it's all very- I'm with um, you. I'm not sure it's going to recoup that. I don't know if Bowie, if, if ground control, is that going to be a big deal in 50 years? I don't know. Maybe some of the songs will. I don't know. I guess they have the money. I think each have probably one or two songs that'll live on, you know, just based off of generations and people talking and researching. But but for a half a billion dollars worth? I well, I know. guess maybe it's also for people to be able to 
because they paid for these masters the rights to re-record them at some point. I'm wondering if McCartney will ever do it. He could probably get a billion bucks. The interesting thing about McCartney and the Beatles catalog is that, I don't know if you recall, but when when there was a shift and when everything went digital, the Beatles catalog was unavailable at iTunes for years. Same thing with Spotify. It was un, it was unavailable on digital platforms for many years. I don't know whether or not that was smart or not from a catalog standpoint, because I think there are literally two or three generations of people who don't know anything about the Beatles. Well, and I think too, Garth Brooks was the same way. Like you couldn't stream or do anything with him for a while. Well, a lot of Pink Floyd, a lot of them, because they felt, you know, if my song is out there, why should Joe Schmo be paying the same single rate as me, the Beatles? I, I should get a better stream rate than, than these other kids. That's how well, they I think it. that it might have hurt them as far as the longevity of, of, of the catalog. Well, if you're talking about longevity, as far as the Beatles, I don't think anyone they hurt them. My kids' generation, they don't. They don't give a damn about the Beatles. I disagree. I think I think there's a group that do. You look through TikTok, a lot of young people still think the Beatles are kind of great. Well, I think it's also inspiration, too. People are looking to figure out maybe like their sound and they're going back and seeing what happened in like the 50s and 60s and 70s and trying to incorporate that. So I think most of them are still relevant to a point. But like you said, Carl, 50 years from now, they may not be. There's probably going to be other people that are relevant. I'll tell you something funny. This is kind of unrelated, but or kind of related. I, you know, like you know, Facebook, they have you know um, throwbacks or flashbacks from a, a post you did ten years ago or fifteen. Or like years. on this day, here right? Yeah, memories. right. So I saw one the other day on this day where Kanye West just released that song with McCartney and Rihanna, and somebody just like took a a screenshot of Kanye's Twitter feed. And somebody said, hey, Kanye, man, kudos to you to give this old dude some credit. He's going to stop blowing up now. Like, meaning, who's this Paul McCartney cat that you gave this, you know, yeah, like. It's my point. You know, uh, like, who's this Paul McCartney cat? Hard to be relevant with that that group But of I people. think that's why um, Elton John and Ed Sheeran, like, or however you spell Sheeran. His, Sheeran. They just came out with a Christmas song. And. I haven't heard anything really new from Elton John in a while, but like he's apparently in the last couple of years started to do more duets with the people who were in and now to kind of stay relevant and make sure that he's still remembered as who he is. So I think that's something where older artists are kind of figuring out that if they had clout in the past, they could probably partner with people who have clout now and still make a, a dollar or two. I think, you know, this is my thing, you know, and, and maybe um. Is this another one of Carl's rules? No, nah, I, I don't do rants over. This is kind of what I really feel. I guess I believe that rock and roll is a young man's game, you know, and there's something cool about being young and doing this. Like, I don't know. I don't want to see Tommy James at 79 years old with a comb over in Vegas singing Crimson and Clover. <laughs> Come on. Or Hanky Panky. Have you seen the zombies? She's not there time of the season they have this show on pbs of like you know all these 60s acts the animals yeah, those, those are kind of hard to watch aren't they and these guys are like paul revere and the raiders like there's like two of them alive and they're all like old and fat and they're wearing the suits and like come <laughs> on man like at some point you know you gotta give it to jagger he can do it some i guess can transcend it but some of these guys even springsteen something look kind of old to me i'm gonna say what are your takes on billy joel Billy Joel can still do it. He still sounds like Billy Joel. He looks kind of weird. He doesn't look cool, but he can still sing. He still can sound like Billy Joel. So if you can do it, 
And you know who can still do it? Rod. Rod looks kind of cool mm-hmm. still. He's 78 years old, but he can still kind of sing like he does, and he still kind of has it. So all the power to you. But at some point, you should kind of really be self-aware enough to go, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Well, Elton John has been, I mean, far be it for me to say anything negative about Elton John. I mean, I think the first, his first six albums were incredibly formative in my life, you know? He defined the 70s, man, definitely. I mean, I mean, it was just extraordinary what he did. I lived by those albums. I mean, I would spend hundreds of hours listening to those albums. They were great. Now, do I, would I go see him today? Probably not. He's not singing in the same register. You know, I'm really not. Well, that it's interested like you're paying homage low, to the legend. Like, low energy reprisal of his career. But I saw him in the 70s and it was amazing. It was an amazing thing. I think people in their 80s can still do it. I mean, I went to see Jack Jones a couple of years back and he. Well, it depends on like the genre, too. Don't you think? He, yeah. he, was, he was amazing. Yeah, but you know, but you don't want to see Metallica in their eighties, right? Yeah, right. It's just, I think it has to do with energy level, really. I mean, you know, it's like it's not whether or not they're hitting the notes. You know, I mean, not many people can do that. Jumping topics here, but another thing I find interesting is like there are bands now, like that are touring with no one, none of the original members in the band. There still. Yeah, it used to be in the seventies and eighties. There was also a lot of litigation surrounding like three or four different groups touring as the same group. Well, what's his name? You know, Roger Waters sued, you know, David yeah. Gilmore and stuff because they were going out as Pink Floyd without him. Yeah. And he said, no, I think it was the, I think it, a lot of it happened in R and B. I think the platters, there were two or three versions, the platters, <laughs> 11, <you know. laughs> two, or three, two or three version of the OJs. You know? Yeah. Cause one OJ and the other OJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's man. like in Spinal Tap, the new originals. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny title but then again being the artist at what point as an artist was that song by Tato too old to rock and roll too young to die <laughs> right you know so what do you do let's talk about John yeah so we are going to play another song by John called Hey Julio but before we get into that song we're going to learn a little bit more about the foundation that he founded called the Songs of Love Foundation so Learn a little bit more about this. Listen to Hey Julio. And on the backside, we have John Beltzer, who is going to be joining us today. This episode features the founder of the Songs of Love Foundation. The Songs of Love Foundation is a national nonprofit organization that creates free, personalized, original songs to uplift children and teens currently facing tough medical, physical, or emotional challenges. Each Song of Love is professionally produced with the lyrics containing the child's name and references to all of their favorite activities, things, people, and pets. To learn more about this organization or to request a song for a child in need today, go to their website, which is www.songsoflove.org. Every day you show 
song I write, I can feel you so. Your life was short, but your spirit is long. It's all right here, living in your song, your song of love that you trusted in me. Your messenger, I am proud to be. Your purpose was defined. It's as clear as day. And I looked up at you as you showed me the way. Hey, Julio, how I miss you so. I hope that you know that the seed you sow has grown into a full-blown melody that touched the world for all to see the difference that you made with your life forever shines across the sky. Julio Alright everyone, that was Hey Julio by John Beltzer, which is our featured artist this week, and it is time for our special questions of the week segment. Uh oh. And we actually have a surprise. We have John live in studio with us this episode. So hi, a rarity. A rare in-studio oh. interview. But hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. What a nice, cozy studio. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So, John, we would love to know. Give us a little bit more um, about Hey, Julio and how that song came about. Yeah, uh, I started this foundation uh, called the Songs of Love Foundation back in 1996. Uh, we provide fully produced personalized songs for kids who are uh, critically ill. And uh, back in uh, 1984, uh, April 12th, my brother committed suicide and he was my fraternal twin. And two months before he died, he wrote and recorded a song called Songs of Love. And 12 years later, I'm walking down the street in my neighborhood in Forest Hills, Queens, and I had this incredible epiphany to start a charity that would help sick kids by giving them their very own fully produced personalized songs. And I called it Songs of Love, named after my brother's song. So uh, this is our 25-year anniversary, and then it, it dawned on me that even though we've written over 37,000 original personalized songs for kids, a thought occurred to me that I had never written my, my brother a song. So I was just hanging out on my couch in the living room and had my guitar, and then it just kind of flowed out. It just, it just happened, and it just it was a very – it kind of wrote itself. So I know, It's a uh, wonderful song, John. It's yeah. like it's so fluid and it really you know, is. honest. And uh, you debuted it at the um, 25th anniversary streaming for healing event that was um, put on uh, September of 2021, right? Yep, yep, and that's my birthday month and my brother's birthday, September 8th. So you know, huh. it was a bunch of synchronicity there. Awesome. Well, it, it truly is an amazing song. Um, so we know you're the co-founder of the Songs of Love Foundation. Not co-founder, he's the founder. Founder, I don't know why I say co-founder. Sorry, sorry, no, 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 but Julio, Julio is the co-founder, my brother. See, I'm not wrong. <laughs> what would you say has been the highlight of the foundation since you started it? Yeah, uh, 
just to clarify for people, when you say co-founder, I want to make sure everybody knows that the other founder is my brother who's uh, in a different realm, and he gave me the epiphany to start the organization. So that's right. my co-founder, Julio. So uh, what gave me the inspiration? Was that the question? No, what, what has been the highlight of the foundation oh. over the last 25 years? Uh, the highlight, oh boy. Oh boy, the highlight. Pretty much every day is a oh, highlight, man. right? Yeah, I mean, every song that we do for every child is a new highlight. But uh, I could go back to the first song of love that I did, which basically is one of the main highlights. I wrote uh, six songs for patients at St. Jude's. They sent me, uh, depicted on stickers, these uh, kids who they were using for their own promotional purposes. Otherwise, they would have never sent me information about the kids because of confidentiality laws. And uh, so that was back in 1996. I was testing out the idea. And out of the six songs I wrote, the very first one was for Britney Smith. She was five years old and she had cancer. Two weeks after I sent the song back to the hospital, the PR department called me and they thanked me for the song. But then two weeks after that, I got a call from uh, Britney Smith's mom and she uh, said, hey, hi, John, I'd like, I like for you to say hello to someone. She, Britney comes on the phone and she, you know, she's five years old with cancer and she says, thank you for my song. Oh, wow. And that was like out of all, it's never happened like that since. So it's almost like the call that I needed to hear to confirm and to validate right. my vision. Uh, it was just uh, an unbelievable moment. So, you know, there's been many highlights, but that first one was the one that, that got her all started. That's amazing. And, yeah. and from that, I mean, 37,000 children that you've been able to gift this, as you guys call it, the medicine of music to. I mean, really that like truly is an accomplishment in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a great way to be able to use your talents. You know, a lot of these songwriters who have so much talent, they become very frustrated when they keep trying to sell their songs or try to become recording artists. But this is a great way to just keep you writing, to uh, put your talent to this other amazing, significant use. So it's really invigorated the songwriting community. And, you know, we love for uh, all singer songwriters out there who have their own home studios to, you know, give us a call or send us an email at info at songsoflove.org. We're always recruiting uh, new singer songwriters. Of course, you need, you need to know how to, to actually sing and record a song and to write a song. Right. Right? You know, <laughs> that we, helps. We, yeah, we don't want to scare any kids out there. You know? <laughs> how many um, songwriters have you been able to, um, I guess, work with over the years? Well, we've had uh, probably over 500 now. Maybe even, probably even closer to a thousand. But right. right now we have about, uh, I would say about a hundred active singer songwriters. Uh, so we have a nice little uh, army, uh, ditty doctors out there, as we like to call them. And they're all across the country too, right? Yes, across the country and across the world. We have we got a couple of writers in Australia. We have one who's living in Brazil now, which is the place where I was born. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. That's really amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Kind of all comes full circle. Yep. The foundation does such great work with being able to provide free personalized songs for kids who are critically ill and disabled. What has the Songs of Love Foundation been able to do to help kind of bridge that gap, knowing that music is so important to these children? Well, you know, there's a, a whole field of uh, music therapy out there that, you know, they, they provide these programs for the for the kids who are in the hospital. I like to say that we've taken it to another level where we actually reflect back to each child, their beauty and their spirit via their own personalized song. We don't talk about the illness. So 
It's something that distracts the kids from the pain and the trauma and the fear of, of illness or scary medical treatments. So we, uh, we add- It celebrates to, the child, right? Yeah, yeah. We add to the child's uh, healing journey, if you will. And I, I really do feel that in cases where it could be touch and go, this could help uh, put the child over the edge into healing. So uh, we're very proud of what we're doing. Well, and it also, I think, helps normalize them too. And just is, knowing that they're a kid who's who's amazing, who has all of these things that they love, and they get to hear that kind of over and over and over again. So I think that that's amazing as well. Absolutely. That's definitely one of the benefits. Now, we just spoke to Destiny. Tell her about Destiny explaining it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Carl uh, is one of our amazing songwriters. He's been with us since the start. Almost, yeah. I've been I've been honored to be a part of this for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So he's written. I don't know. What was it coming close to ten thousand songs now? I don't know. Maybe. Not, I don't <laughs> think it's that much, but kind of in the thousands. Yeah. So uh, we uh, we reconnected with Destiny Dyer, who received a song back in two thousand four, and she was eleven years old. She she actually wasn't supposed to live beyond one. Right. And uh, so. We reconnected with her. We even did it like this professional with three uh, well-known country singers uh, with- uh, Deborah Allen, Anita Cochran, and Tammy Cochran. Yeah. And uh, Carl co-wrote the song with them. It came out great. And uh, so we recently interviewed her. We had a Zoom interview with her. And she's doing great. She's 28 years old now and still talks about how she still listens to her song and talked about how right. the song got her through her challenges when she- you know, when she was going through that whole thing. So it's a, it's amazing. It just gives you, it shows you the, the everlasting power of a song of love. Mm -hmm. It's the gift that lasts forever, really, truly, yep, for everyone. Totally. Yep. The things that the foundation has been able to do and you've been able to create from the ground up over the last 25 years is truly amazing. As we are literally talking to you at the start of 2022, what do you see is the future of the foundation? Well, you know, we had a goal back in 2020 of helping 4,000 kids and we were on the way, but then of course the pandemic happened. And, uh, you know, our goal was to uh, exponentially keep uh, growing our outreach. For this year, we have a goal of helping at least 2,500 children. And into next year, we, we grow it again. So we want to resume our growth and try to help as many kids as possible. Sadly, you know, there are new diagnoses of serious illnesses every day. So there's always enough children to help out there. So we'll do the best we can to help as many as possible. Well, I have no doubt that that goal will be reached and you guys will continue to have that impact year over year with the amazing things that you're able to do. John also doesn't not only writes, you know, songs of love, he also writes his own songs like we're, we're featuring. Which is what we're featuring today, right, yeah. yeah. So John, in addition to um, being the founder, you know, and president of Songs of Love, you're also a songwriter in your own right, you know? So that first song we heard, Meet Me in the Metaverse, what's, what's that about? What'd you write that about? Well, there's a whole new field uh, that's uh, coming into being where, you know, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of gamers out there. That they're already kind of already dabbling in the metaverse, but without their goggles. When you look at how real graphics are starting to look. So now they're making the transition where you'll be able to use your uh, goggles or whatever, uh, you know, one of those Oculus and then just get into a whole new world. And, that, and that's people saying this is going to be the future. You're talking and, virtual reality, basically. Yeah, right? yeah. And that's, uh, I started thinking, well, you know, there's so much bad stuff that happens in the world on a daily basis. You know, there are shootings and people are at each other's throats and politically we're, we're so divisive. And in the rest of the world, 
and people are just going to like throw their hands up. You know, I mean, I'm not uh, making any predictions, but I'm, I can envision people just like immersing themselves in this whole new virtual reality world. And, uh, you know, it inspired me to write a song about it. Well, they already kind of are, you know, with with Facebook and Instagram and yeah. TikTok, even at this level. So as, as the technology gets even better. Uh, yeah, they're just going to naturally make the transition, right? I mean, that's basically where it's going. Especially so the, the, so the Matrix is gonna is, was almost a prophetic movie. Yep, exactly. I thought that hey, that, that could be a cool song, you know, concept. Meet me in the metaverse because, you know, the 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 real world is getting worse. So uh, meet me in the metaverse. So it inspired the song. And the last song we're gonna hear before we, um, you know, after we close, where do I go from here? What's, yeah, what's that uh, about? Well, you know, uh, I've been able to. Uh, find uh, a certain degree of uh, contentment, a certain degree of base happiness. And that's basically what the song talks about is that uh, I find myself pretty happy with myself. I feel like I don't really need to find happiness in anyone else. So the song talks about that and it talks about, you know, now where do I go? Where do I go from here? I, I discovered this, you know, base way to, to be and exist. And, uh, Very cool. so I, you know, the, the world is open to me now. As it should be. That's pretty yep. amazing. Good for you. I wish more people would embrace that. Yeah, you know, I realize it's it's just just you know this brain of ours. There's just so much stuff that we go through our whole lives, and then you know we we have a lot of this obsessive thinking, and you know we cave into our thoughts rather than just you know being able to enjoy ourselves in the moment and just existing. Right. So you know, kind of the song touches upon that a little bit. Very cool. It's truly a passion for you. Oh, totally. I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are also have another passion project that you are working on that hopefully will come out in either this year or next year, but you're writing a book. Yes. Actually, yesterday I reached uh, page uh, 400. Holy cow. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's an ongoing thing, but I think I'm getting towards the end, but of course I'm going to need editors and because I'm not you know, a great writer by any means. But uh, it's been quite a journey just to be able to write out my story and a little therapeutic as well. Oh, of cool. course. That's amazing. Well, I know I can't wait for the book to come out and to see where not just the Songs of Love Foundation goes, but where your kind of rest of your career takes you, John. So thank you so much for being on this episode of the podcast and allowing us to feature your music and to share about the Songs of Love Foundation. Well, thank you, Nicole, for having me. Thanks, Carl, for having me. And you guys have a great show. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. And for everyone listening, we will include links to everything, not just the Songs of Love Foundation website, but everything that we talked about with Destiny's interview and samples to their Spotify playlist. So you can also listen to some of the amazing songs that John and the songwriters of the foundation have created. All right, everyone, I think it's time for us to get out of this episode. So thank you so much for listening. Make sure that you listen all the way through because we have another song by John Belzer called Where Do I Go From Here? For everything that we talked about and to make sure that you listen to other episodes of our podcast, go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Till next time, we'll talk to you later. Turned into
Become quite comfortable 